Hey, welcome to a Town Hall Academy Business Coaches Lab, where we're talking improving shop efficiency. You're in for some wide open tactics and ideas. Now, here's a taste. Because let me tell you something, you could have the best tech in the whole world. And if he doesn't think you care about him, he's not going to go all in for you. He's not going to go the extra mile. So if you're looking for efficiency, I think one of the things you've got to look at is the culture that's in the business. Welcome automotive aftermarketers to a Remarkable Results Radio Town Hall Academy. Listen to learn just one thing from today's episode on your journey to remarkable results. Hey, Carm Capriato here, and so glad to welcome you to the Academy episode 116 on improving shop efficiency. Hey, I want to thank Jasper Engines and Transmissions for bringing the Town Hall Academy to the aftermarket each week. Now, you know when faced with options for your customer's engine or transmission failure, rest assured that a remanufactured drivetrain product from Jasper Engines and Transmissions will give your customer's vehicle a new lease on life. JasperEngines.com for more information. Hey, if you're new to the podcast, I'm honored to have you as a member of the tribe with your commitment to being a forever student. Now, our mission is to bring insight, trends, expertise, and best practices to all aftermarketers. And I recommend to use your investment of time in the podcast to make positive change for you. Make this knowledge tree work for you. Invest in yourself. You're doing it right now. Hey, you can find the key talking points in my guests' bios and links to their previous episodes at RemarkableResultsRadio.com slash A116. Now, with me to talk about improving shop efficiency is Murray Voth from RPM Training, Rick White from 180Biz, Jude Larson from the ACT Group, Cecil Bullard from the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence, and Bob Greenwood from Automotive Aftermarket Learning Center. Hey, there are more gems of wisdom here than there are reasons to raise your labor rate. So to give you a high-level look-see, the coaches are discussing tactics like knowing your tech's gifts or strengths, removing obstacles that slow their work, make process improvements a rule in your business, minimize their interruptions, and if your techs aren't efficient, plain and simple, find out why. There are so many factors, and our coaches do a great job of exposing some key components for improving efficiency in your base. We're going to be talking improving efficiencies. Um, I looked it up, guys. The last time you guys were here was in January. We committed to do this every quarter, and I thank you for that. We talked about the art of implementation, how to get things done. I've been asked recently through emails and social, you ever did a show on improving efficiency? And of course, the cool thing about it is that I could say, sure, the coaches are getting together to talk about it. So Jude, give me a tactic to start off with that helps us improve efficiency in the in the shop. Sure, Carm. One of the things that I know from uh, back when I was a service advisor that, that I learned over time was that I needed to know my technicians and know my staff because... Well, there are times when you're going to have to cross the work to whoever to get the job done. It also makes sense to, as much as possible, uh, load or stack your schedule in a way that, that fits your people. So you'll, you'll find that in some cases, not always, but in some cases, you'll have a technician who leans more towards uh, gifting in the heavy-duty arena, let's say. He, he can pull out a transmission like nobody's business, but if you ask him to do diagnostics, it's going to take him a bit longer to do that. So I learned over time how to identify those people and build a crew so that I had a pretty good wide uh, array of, of each of those 
And then as I would bring in jobs, I could fit them to those things. That doesn't mean you never cross train or you never, you know, cross contaminate or whatever. But overall, if you have guys doing work that they actually enjoy doing and that they're gifted at doing, um, that's going to help increase things uh, right out of the gate because one guy may never be able to do a transmission as fast as another guy, you know, pulling out a transmission, have it rebuilt or whatever. One guy may never become as good or, or you know, efficient at uh, diagnostics. And so it makes sense to identify them and put them in the right places as consistently as you can, at least in my experience. Rule number three, have the right people do the right work. Yep. Yeah, that's a good one. Awesome. One of, one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot the last couple of years is how uh, we as business coaches over the years, when I was had my shop and, and my early years of coaching, we would pick on the technicians a lot, you know, finding ways to push them, finding ways to drag them kicking and screaming. And I realized, observing, that there's a lot of technicians out there whose heart's in the game and they want to pull their weight. They're all about faster and better. They're always figuring out, you know, tips and tricks and, and, and workarounds and stuff that, that get the job done faster. And then they're not acknowledged by the owners or that stuff isn't, isn't built out. So part of this to me is a shift in attitude uh, that uh, let's get out of their way. What are the processes that are getting in their way? What are the obstacles that are getting in their way? You know, here's a simple one. Uh, tons of technicians will, will get a four-wheel brake job. They'll dismantle the whole thing. They'll clean it all up beautifully, get it all ready to reassemble. And then they will go and open all their parts boxes. Oh, brother, the rotors are wrong. As opposed to we pull the car into the bay, open up all the boxes, take a look at all of it, give it back to the advisor to deal with, and start dismantling at that point. A simple little philosophy. I've got about half of people I talked to just in the last two weeks are like, oh, I never thought of that. Simple, tiny little tip. Yeah, it seems kind of interesting that um, that there's so many little things that can be done, but they're not done. Uh, I think one of the keys is to constantly be looking at your productivity or your efficiency, whatever we want to name it, you know, the hours produced by the tech. And if they're not enough, then why not? I mean, that, that's yeah. the question. Every, every shop owner ought to have a big sign that says, why not? Um, <laughs> because, you know, um, you know what, what's holding us back? You know, when, when I interview employees and I do a lot of that, these guys are frustrated. Um, because they're good technicians and they're held up. They're held up because they come to work at eight and there's no cars um, or no dispatch. The cars are there. The customers have dropped them off, but they don't have anything in their bin saying, I got to work on this thing. Um, They don't get the parts right, or they don't get the right parts, or they don't get all the parts because of the process uh, or process. If you're from Canada, (laughs) that's that's, that's different or missing. Um, We should be, constantly looking at our employees in a sense of, are they able to do their jobs? Are they doing their jobs? And if they're not able, why not? And then we look at, okay, well, geez, we have this instance of, uh, we, we, we pull the car in the bay, we tear it all apart. Uh, we get everything cleaned up, ready to go back together. And all of a sudden I don't have the right part. Okay. How do we fix that? Well, that's pretty simple. When the parts get here, we open them up. We see if they work before we even pull the car in the bay. Right. Yeah. A simple little minor change in your process all of a sudden creates additional productivity and less frustration for the employee, yeah. which you is know, exactly what you want. See, so you bring up some really good points there, all behind the scenes, behind the scenes. And, you know, if you know what works coming in for the day, why are the parts not ordered the day before and on site <laughs> instead of waiting to order the parts the same day the vehicle's there? Are you managing the vehicle? You should know what has to be done. And the other thing, too, as you pointed out, is that 
productivity is the key, which is your build hours. And everybody knows I'm hung up on build hours because that is where productivity is measured, which affects efficiency. <clears throat> the two are definitely joined together. Yeah. So mm-hmm. analyzing what productivity for each technician by management is a key because you have A, B, and C techs. What should we be expecting? Now, here's a caveat I'd like to throw out there is to build a team everybody having each other's back during the day and working together, the team should know what should the total build hours be in our shop collectively. And if it's 28 or 32 or 40 hours a day, the team is together. That's our objective as a team. We don't know where it's going to come from necessarily right at the get-go, but we have an objective. But I think that's a really interesting point. In our shop, when I was running the shop, we had 192 hours as our goal and 192 hours was the team's goal. It wasn't any person's yeah, goal. Exactly. And if we had three guys, it was still 192 hours. Yeah. And if we had four guys, it was still 192 hours. Yeah. So when somebody went on vacation, we didn't go, okay, we're going to do 45 less hours this week. Yeah. We said, How is the team going to step up and, and, and meet the, the target of the goal? It's the same as having a, a stat holiday. You're closed for the day, but the right. hours aren't going to change for the month. They shouldn't. I mean, no, I still have no. bills. I still know what I need. We still have to produce how, and as you say, how are we going to step it up? I think there was also in the, in the, in the notes, which you guys <laughs> didn't get to see, but we did. Um, you know, there, there, there was this thing that, you know, the techs keep finding ways to get it done faster and the shop owners keep finding ways to give it away. Yeah. Yes. Now, I think that a lot of money is given up in, with the pencil and that's where money's made. I mean, I've got to hold my margin. I've got to sell this for a certain amount. Um, you know, I, I, in my notes, I said, you know, is it fair for the customer to pay, you know, three hours if it takes my A-tech, you know, an hour and a half to do the job? And, and, uh, and then if that's not fair to the customer, then if I put my C-tech on the job and it takes them five hours, should the customer pay five hours for the job? Sometimes well, money is made because I'm, I'm billing what the job should take and we're doing it in a more efficient way. In a better and, you're, way. and you're competent. You're competent. And yeah. when you're competent, you're, you're going to beat the clock. Why would you penalize yourself for competency? You had right. to gain I, all that knowledge. I think what we got to do is stop thinking about selling time. We're selling jobs. And the reality is, you know, I listened to an advisor. I was training an advisor and the advisor had, they had detected a diagnostic and she only charged 15 minutes. And she says, that's all it took them. And I said, no, it took them 30 years to learn how to fix it in 15 minutes or figure it out in 15 minutes, that 30 years has value. That 30 years, that's what we're selling. When we're, when, we're, when we're selling time, we're not selling time. We're selling jobs now. This is the price the customer agreed to. Whether it takes three hours or five hours or one hour, this is, what the, this is the agreed upon price. And we've got to understand the value that we bring to the table. I think that's so important. And I also think that, Rick, to back you up on that, is the labor guides are misunderstood. The digital ones don't have instructions on how to use them. If you open up a Motor or a Chilton or a Mitchell manual from 1999 and you open up the front of the book, it has an A-tech, a B-tech, a C-tech, and a D-tech. Re and refuel pump time, 2.5 for a C-technician. That is an apprentice. We would expect an apprentice to do it in 2.5 hours. We would be pleased at an apprentice. The fact that Bob got it done in 1.5 as an ATEC is irrelevant. The guides are designed to work with the different grades. It's already the founding fathers of this 
and we've misused these guides all these years. We've taken it as some kind of a Bible. It's not that way. But I think it goes to our, our mental state of mind. And, and, and I believe, you know, having watched, you know, been in the industry for, you know, a thousand years, that there are a lot of shop owners out there and a lot of technicians that don't, don't understand their worth. Right. You know, the kind of knowledge, yeah. the skill level yeah. to, to yeah. work on today's cars, it takes 30 years worth of experience or 15 years plus $100,000 in tools. And, and we need to be thinking about paying for those things. And, yes. and uh, just like we're paying for the doctor's education when we pay this guy, you know, $250 for a five-minute consultation, um, we should be thinking about what we should be paying that technician for their education, their dedication, yes. the tools, yes. et cetera. And the shop has to make money. See, the problem under- with that, but the problem with that, the problem with that, though, is it's the curse of knowledge, right? The more familiar I am with the subject matter, the less I value it. I, un- I unconsciously expect everybody that I come in contact with to have that same level of understanding. And yes. we don't. They don't. And we've got to recognize that. We've got to come in a lot stronger and more confident about yeah. what Amen. we bring to the table as an industry. Amen. So, yeah. so to kind of, to kind of I, I agree 100%, 1,000%. We have to understand what our value is. But to get back to productivity or efficiency, whatever we're calling hours build, the pencil is one of the things that makes hours build work or not. If right. I'm charging what I need to, if, if, if I have an ATEC, you know, there's that old story about the squeaky floor and the guy comes in and the, you know, the old carpenter comes in and the customer says, uh, I, man, this thing's been driving me crazy. And the, the, the carpenter says, well, it's going to cost you 110 bucks, uh, but I can fix it. And the guy says, go ahead. And he kind of looks around, he walks over, he puts a nail down and wham, and the squeak's gone. He says, okay, 110 bucks. The guy says, I'm not paying 110 bucks for one nail. He said, no, no, you're paying $110 because I knew where to put the nail right? We have to have more of that mentality within our industry. Yes. And, and also there's so much time leaking out um, what I call brown bananas that, you know, my technician test drives the vehicle and racks the vehicle and, and, and does the paperwork and then, you know, cleans the bay and puts the tools away. We have to get paid for that time yes. uh, because we're spending that time and we wouldn't be. If my bay never had a car in it, I'd never have to sweep it. You know, uh, if I never took my tools out of my toolbox, um, I'd never have to put them back in. Uh, and, we're, and we're not, many shops are not thinking about that and are not taking to those things into account. Uh, and that's where productivity also disappears from my business or build that's, hours. And you're well, building in, when you're bringing that up, you're bringing in your cost per build hour because the cost per build hour will cover all that. Right? Well, hopefully, right? Yes, well, it, yeah. will. it will. It <laughs> will. Well, yes, yeah. So, if they do it right, but but now but look that, at that look at our industry right. as a whole. Our our industry just doesn't get it yet. I mean, how many shop owners have you guys talked to? Because I've certainly experienced. They're afraid to raise their labor rate ten dollars. They're freaking out. Ten dollars. Um, I want to throw something out there. there there's a there's an old uh, uh, proverb or something like that. So it says that you know, may a man prosper as his soul prospers, and to me, what that's talking about is that a, a person is not, their capacity for success is limited by their capacity for success. So if they don't understand, if they don't think of themselves as somebody who is a professional, 
they're going to have a hard time conducting themselves as a professional. If they don't think of themselves as somebody who should be able to make a half million dollars a year or a hundred thousand or 50,000 or whatever it is, they won't do it. So regardless, if we fix all of these internal systems, if we know our numbers upside down and backwards, if the people don't believe they can do it, yeah. they absolutely wow. will not do it. It and starts so, with yourself. It, it it, yeah. With and it seems like kind of a, kind of a sideways way to go at this, but in some cases, we have to get our people all on the same page and involved in the process of becoming the people that we're, we're talking about that, that believe in themselves and that believe, I mean, my, my lead technician, um, he can bill, you know, 70 to 90 hours in a week. Um, he's teaching my other guys how to do that. He won't let my front counter staff undercharge him. It, it won't happen. I guarantee it. He'll go in there with nunchucks or whatever he's got to do to straighten <laughs> things out. It just won't happen. And and we need that mentality because he knows what he's worth. Because, well, you know, and we have a million of these examples. You have a guy, you know, the guy scanned, my buddy scanned my car, replaced this part. And in five minutes, he knows already that the buddy's completely wrong, way out in left field. It's not going to do anything for the car. And here's the direction we need to go in with it. Now, again, are we going to just charge a bill out the five minutes? Or am I going to charge for his $10,000 piece of equipment that he used and his 30 years of experience and his ASC Master Tech certification and all of that for what he did, you know? So we've yeah. all got to get there. And as, as leaders, as, as us as coaches, I know we're working on shop owners, business owners to grow in that way. But, you know, are we doing like Friday lunch meetings where we're actually bringing stuff like this to the table and helping them to understand what their value is rather than just hoping they figure it out? Who's going to tell them? Who's going to, who's going to teach them if we don't do it? Yeah. Right. Well, this is the part that drives me crazy about this, Jude, when you say that people don't value themselves, they don't understand. I love your saying about the capacity for success. And I give a lot of <clears throat> thought to why are we this way? Like, why are so many shop owners like that? And one of the ideas that I have is, is you look at plumbers and they bill for all of their time. You look at electricians and they bill for all of their time. Why are we different? And I thought back to 100 years of automotive industry. You had new car dealers for, for 50, 60 years, and you had service stations. I'm a garage guy, mm -hmm. right? Bays, gasoline, and the rest of it. We sold fuel. We sold oil. We made, we made money on that. So here's a mentor. I say this in quotations. Said to me, if you make enough, charge enough labor to pay your technician's wages, you're doing well. I was taught I made my money on the fuel. I was taught I was made money on the parts. All I had to do was cover my technician's wages. That was 1989. I got that advice. Guys, how much of that around is around that sets the mindset of all these shop owners today? I see Bob is just grinning on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen so much of it, Murray. It's unbelievable. And it comes from the 80s, 70s, and 80s, that whole mentality. And that's what shop owners were taught back then by the commodity sector, by the oil. Yes. Yes. And, you know, they, they had no, I'm sorry, they had no respect for the shop owner mm -hmm. or a mechanic well, and it's a shame but that being said in today's world our knowledge base is absolutely enormous oh. time base is enormous and we have got to totally understand that we are now a profession and as a shop owner i am a professional and i hire professional technicians who truly get it they are competent we invest continuously in education and development of their knowledge not to let our client down and we will learn and do and manage our client's vehicle for safety reliability and efficiency and we will not let our client down that's how competent we are and that is why I need this particular labor rate to make sure I don't let you down.
Okay, your customer's engine or transmission has failed, but now is not the time for them to trade their vehicle. Not without a working engine or transmission. Besides, would they have kept their vehicle another three to five years if their engine or transmission had not let them down? Well, if you answered yes, then Jasper Engines and Transmissions is your choice to give your customer's vehicle new life and many thousands of miles of enjoyable driving performance. When considering the high cost of a new or newer used vehicle, there's a pretty good case to be made for your customers to replace a drivetrain component that has failed or is delivering poor performance, rather than trading their car, truck, van, or SUV. Install a quality remanufactured Jasper product for less than your customer would have to invest in a different vehicle. Go to jasperengines.com to learn more about the money-saving value of Jasper. I, I was so moved by what I heard. I drew a visual, and, and I want to show it to you quickly. This is how I do my hieroglyphics. On the top of that pyramid is fix or repair. The fix or the repair is at the top of the pyramid. Next down, training. Next is equipment. Next is pay and benefits. Next is experience and knowledge. And when we think about what we're going to charge on top, and it comes with all of that foundation, maybe this is the kind of thing you're coming, you're, you're talking about that says, why are we saying we, you know, the, the, it's the wood, it's the nail in the, in, in the hardwood floor, uh, Cecil. I, I, we, knew, we knew how to fix it because we have all that going for us. Anyway, thank you for that. That was my takeaway. I think, you know, as a shop owner, you're getting customers calling you every day and their concern is about price, or at least that's what they're telling you, obviously. And, uh, and so you're, you're kind of fighting that battle. It's in front of you all day long. But what I tell service advisors and shop owners is that not only we as an industry, but we as individuals have to be able to convince our customers that, yes, there's a guy down the street that might do it cheaper, but he won't do it better. You're here for a reason. And, and, and my price is, 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 is not the same as his price, but my price is a great price based on what I bring to the table for you. Um, we have to believe that. Our staff has to believe that. And we have to act like that in order to achieve that. And, and it'll be good for our industry. It'll be good for the individuals. And that's the value you bring to the table. Absolutely. I, I would like to bring one more layer to this if I could. When we look at efficiency, I truly believe there's two parts to it. Um, there's the ability, which is what we tend to focus on all the right. time. Right. But then there's the engagement. How committed are the technicians to the company? Does the owner still look at the technicians as strictly arms and hands in the bays? Or does he see them as human beings and has created a culture, a haven where it's safe, where they can grow and get better? Because let me tell you something, you could have the best tech in the whole world. And if he doesn't think you care about him, he's not going to go all in for you. He's not going to go the extra mile. So if you're looking for efficiency, I think one of the things you've got to look at is the culture that's in the business. And do we see these people as professionals? And are we treating them that way? Because I'll be honest with you, my professionalism did not come from me internally, initially. It was somebody else that saw more in me than I did. And then it grew within me. And I think it's the same for the techs. We got to stop getting these guys thinking they're grease monkeys. I am sick and tired of that. These guys are professionals and they should be treated that way. And I think once we start treating them that way, they're going to start coming up for us. And, you know, you look at a culture and 
Rick, you're absolutely right. It's the key part of any business. What is the business culture? And from the staff point of view, service advisor, right through the text to, to the back office. Does everybody under that roof truly believe management has their back? And amen. amen. And does each other have each other's back? Do they truly believe that? And when you do, your productivity goes through the roof because you're working as a complete team. If you're, if you're not constantly helping your employees get better at what they do and, and make it easier for them to do their job, and they're coming up against these frustrations, I can't get cars, I can't get authorizations, it takes too long, I can't get the right parts, they're never going to be productive. You're never going to make the money you need to make. I mean, when you, you know, supporting techs, there's one thing about, you know, so a customer comes in and a mistake was made and the, and the, the owner throws the tech under the bus. That's, that's a mistake, right? But there's also the support of, I want you to have the easiest possible way to earn your money. So I'm going to provide you the tools. I'm going to provide you the education. We are going to fix the processes in the business so that you have what you need to be successful within my business. Now I'm really showing these guys that I have their back. And if I have their back, and I have a requirement too. My requirement is that you produce. When I do my job for you, now I have a requirement for you that you produce, right? And you, and you do the job. Accountability? Um, if any of those are missing, you're in trouble. You're you know, right. Cecil, right. that's why the entire team should understand the business completely. So they understand everybody's function within the business versus just pointing a finger. And, th- and they should be working on why not. They should be exactly. working on why not. I mean, if there's a problem with getting the right parts here, the whole company should be having that discussion. Should, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Yes. And, the, you know, Rick said the word accountability with this great big grin on his face. I like to use the word mutual accountability. Amen. Uh, but one of the other things that I wanted to bring up is a mindset change. You guys are talking about mindset in a way to part of this. And sometimes we have an obstacle like I'm getting the wrong parts, right? And so we talk about opening the boxes first. But the reason why we don't open the boxes first is we're assuming that our suppliers are sending us the right parts. And then we get mad at the supplier that they're sending us the wrong parts. And Tim, instead of going, you know what? Till the day we die, our suppliers are going to send us the wrong parts. Let's just get over it. Let's let go. Right? Yeah. Okay. And then occasionally, of course. Yes. Let's part of the game. Too- it's part of the game. So let's let go of that and open up our boxes before. You know what? All customers seem to show up at 8 o'clock. Uh, no. I have trained my service advisor, like the service advisor and the people that I work with, is that many consumers, when you offer them the choice to drop off their car in the afternoon for service the next day, they get a big smile on their face. They can't stand dropping off a car at 8 o'clock in the morning when it's the busiest time of their lives, dropping kids off at daycare and the rest. In the afternoon, their sister-in-law could pick them up at the shop because they're both having coffee in the afternoon together, right? The afternoon is a good time to drop off cars. I got people dropping off 60% of their cars in the afternoon for the next day. The advisors already have everything launched the night before. Technicians walk in to a whole rack full of work right away at 8 o'clock in the morning. It's changing. You can't change gravity. We just figure out how to deal with it. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think <laughs> find the bottlenecks. Find the yeah. bottlenecks. That's what it's really about. Right. It, it's seeing like I train, I train advisors when you, when you're writing the estimate, order the parts, right? If you didn't know what it needs, order the parts, get them there. So that when the tech is, is in the bay, I mean, our whole goal about efficiency is to keep the tech spinning a wrench as much as we possibly can. I mean, if you look at the retail value of a technician today, it's somewhere between four and $6 a minute. Yeah. 
Who the heck wants to see a tech standing around for 10 minutes? 45,000 a month, baby. Hey, baby. That's so fast. Amen. And and a, a uh, 48,000 uh, a year service advisor only costs you 39 cents a minute. Yeah. Right? Except a lot of service don't have enough advisors. Except the service advisor is responsible for making sure that the technician has what they need to be successful. Well, that's what I'm saying. But a lot and of so, shops don't have enough advisors. Usually. Yeah, right. I right. mean, we there's a process um, that, that, that says, I'm constantly looking at my business to find out why the, the, the techs aren't productive. I mean, is it dispatch? Is it the wrong parts? Is it that we're not charging enough? You know, mm-hmm. do we not have the right education, the right tools, the right technicians, frankly? Uh, and if I'm not doing this routinely in my business, I'm in trouble. I'll never get the productivity out of the shop that I should. And when you're understaffed, you can't be have a productive shop either. Correct. And you start to look at everybody says it's hard to find good staff. Well, hey, guys, let me ask you all this because uh, you, you advise your clients. And I can't help but think about creating that culture of um, constant improvement. Tell me about what how you advise your clients how often should there be this team meeting that says okay i want one new great idea the a why not moment that we need to do because process win wars make money tell me how we can share the how to with our audience as to how they should go about doing this it's essential to have regular communication and there's different types okay Regular communication is going to be different necessarily for most companies, but I recommend a weekly meeting once a month, excuse me, once a week with the technician, with the whole staff to look at the business, discuss the issues, the problems, et cetera. The owner <coughs> often is a, is, a, uh, is a problem in the business because the owner is looking at things and wanting immediate change. So the shop's not as clean as I want it to be. Uh, so in the middle of the morning at, at uh, nine o'clock when the techs are supposed to be diagnosing and, and getting this stuff to the service advisor, I go out there and start yelling about how the shop is not as clean as I want it to be. Um, or maybe I'm not yelling, but I'm certainly causing some sort of disruption uh, in, the, in the process. Um, Stomping the, around. The owner needs a place to come in and communicate. That place is once a week on Monday, unless it's an emergency. So... You know, if I come if I come into my shop and there's some oil on the floor, is that an emergency, right? And uh, if the answer is yes, someone's going to kill themselves, then it's an emergency. If not, let it go until your meeting on Monday or your meeting on Wednesday and have that conversation. The other thing I always say is that the employees need a place to come in and go, hey, I'm waiting around too long for parts. And it's frustrating me because I can't be productive and I can't make my bonuses. Or maybe they're paid hourly and it doesn't affect their pay, but it affects their mental uh, uh, state. Um, yeah. I don't feel as good about myself because I'm not producing, you know, 60 hours this week. Um, they need a place to come in and speak about that. And to me, that's once a week. And then there are other times to speak with your employees individually and that's as necessary. And so sometimes I'd have the same person in my office three times in a week because we were focusing on or trying to fix something. And sometimes I wouldn't talk to somebody other than, Hey, how you doing? Great job. Uh, uh, um, more than uh, once every three or four weeks. Um, but you need regular communication. Yeah, I would. I agree with Cecil on the weekly company meetings. I think they're really important. I think you look at your numbers, where you're at, set your goals. Uh, one of the things we did when I had the shop is we set a goal at the end of each month for the following month. And we also set up something special if we achieved it. So we would go out to the races or we went to a new restaurant 
One time the guys wanted to go to paintball. That was a really bad idea. I should have just <laughs> gone with a guy on my t-shirt because uh, I'll tell you what, I had welts for weeks. But um, uh, what I think you need to do is when you're having communication, I, I don't believe you can have too much. So I believe in weekly team meetings, but I also believe in daily team meetings and I called them huddles and they were three a day. We had it at eight in the morning, 10 in the morning and two in the afternoon. And that was to keep everybody on the same page throughout the day to talk about issues, swap a zig and zag with the work and to make sure that everything was flowing properly. Then we would have daily individual communication with each staff member in the morning to let them know how they did the prior day and how they were doing week to date so that if they were behind, they were aware and they could make changes. And we found that that level of communication really helped. There's, there's some essentials too, though, when you start talking about that, and that is that you set goals and targets with your staff. Oh yeah. Cause you can't have the conversation later if you didn't set the, 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 the rules of the game first. Absolutely. So, you know, creating those goals, you know, saying, what are we going to do next month? And then reviewing it throughout the month is extremely valuable. You know, pulling an employee in without setting any goals and targets and getting their agreement is a waste of time. Right. Well, um, they had goals. They had goals. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I see that, obviously. Um, but that's that's a really essential component is sitting down with your staff and getting them to agree and, and, and really believe in the fact that, you know, if a tech only believes he can do six hours a day um, or, or he's only going to do six hours a day, no matter what. I mean, I think you go back to what Jude said and you start talking about, you know, how people believe in themselves. I used to argue with shop owners all day long about what they could or couldn't do. I do less of that now because when they firmly believe it's not possible for a technician to do eight hours a day, they're right. They're never going to get eight hours a day. And yet I think when you're working with 130 shops, you you have all these shops that are, they're killing it. They're doing 120% productivity, pushing, you know, 9.6 hours a day worth of uh, viable, you know, viable, good workout. Um, And yet other guys are going, well, it's not possible. Of course it's not. You haven't done the work. You haven't done the why nots. You're not managing your staff. You don't have the goals and targets. Um, you haven't looked at your 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 um, uh, parts acquisition process and fixed it. It's still broke. Your guys can't be successful. So what I do uh, and recommend, I mean, we all have obviously our own variations of this, but we do a, a Monday morning uh, review of last week because then we actually have all the numbers, you know, fresh that we can look at and see what happened last week and do an analysis there. Talk about performances. We do, of course, a dispatch meeting every morning uh, before we get things going for the day. My advisors meet every two hours to go over the workflow and just and see where everything's at and what's what's going on. And then we do a Friday lunch meeting that is the open place for people to uh, discuss, bring up ideas. Uh, but to, to, to your point, though, Carm, when you were asking, like, how often or when do you have meetings about can people bring improvements or ideas, that's continuous. If, if they're in the middle of a process and they go, wait, right then, stop the process, get the right people involved, go, what if we do it like this and immediately make the change? Because that kind of stuff, I don't want to put that off and I don't want to wait for three weeks to talk about it because it'll be too late and the moment will be gone. But if you can instantly take a process that's normally 14 steps and cut it down to seven, implement it immediately, test it, try it. If it works, change the system and away you go to the next one. And when that becomes a culture where everybody's giving that kind of input, everybody's always looking for that kind of thing, 
it, it almost it's like that snowball effect. It gets kind of entertaining and fun and exciting. People can, I got one. I found one. I, what if we do this? What if we do that? And not all the ideas are good. You're going to get some, some dogs out there. You know, they're going to say, what if we do that? And, you know, and it blows up and doesn't work. And oh, well, you just, you know, pat them on the back and good job trying and jump onto the next one and keep going. Jude, you, you are saying when you take the 14 down to seven, you're still going back into the process manual and making that change so that everyone learns from it. We, we actually document it. Any new person coming up can, can see how that works, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm making an assumption that you have all your systems written and they're Got in it. manual and all that kind Thank of stuff. You. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, it would be, but hey, we're, talk, we're, we're, we're just trying to get to the bullet points here. We're not- get Cecil a nitro pill. Yeah, I think, I think something that uh, Jude said was really important. You're going to have some dogs, right? And you better. If you don't have any dogs, you're not trying hard enough. You're not enough. doing enough. You know, yeah. you're not working hard Absolutely. enough. If you're not failing occasionally, then you, you're not putting the effort in you need to put in. Um, and that, that's where that communication, as you yeah. all say, is so important. And, you know, I, I, I call it the morning scrum, which is uh, okay. every morning at six to eight minutes. And that's a review of not only where we're at, but what we got on our plate today. The the issue about weekly meetings is a necessity today. And it's got to be a communications meeting where the staff and the team realize they can bring issues to the table. But I always challenge every team member, never bring an issue to the table without a perceived solution in your mind of how it should be fixed. That creates absolute good discussion. Mm-hmm. And and Jude, you're right. You're going to have those dogs, but you know what? That's how you learn, and that's how you grow. That's how you develop. That one of the that. I found, go ahead, Murray. Yeah, one of the things I've found with people trying to implement meetings of different kinds, and I love what I'm hearing from you guys. Um, I picked up the term toolbox meeting. So we got toolbox, Scrum, Huddle, right? Um, people say, "Well, I can never get my staff together all at the same time." And this person's on a test driver. This is happening. And uh, what I've taught them, and then there's some research to back this up, is choose a time, have it every day at that time, six, five, six minutes, like Bob, like Bob said, or six to eight, um, no matter who is there. Because here's the psychology of creating culture is if you're the technician on the test drive, right, whether you did it on your own or the boss asked you to, and you missed that meeting that morning, what's the first thing you're going to do when you get back from the test drive? Hey, what did you guys talk about? If you slept in in the morning and you're late for that meeting, you're going to walk around the back door and ask one of the other techs, hey, what did you guys talk about today? In a short period of 20 days, you will create a culture of meetings. Just start them no matter who is there, and it's called peer pressure. People will start asking, what did you talk about? Create a culture. I, I think one of the other issues is as, as an owner, uh, and because of, I am who I am, and, and that's what made me an owner, I think I know the right way. And I think my way is the only way and the right way. And if I don't allow my staff to get their way sometimes in these meetings and we don't discuss other options that we try, then I'm going to be in trouble because they'll quit communicating because they never have any real say. Yeah, Um, Yeah. I have to make a conscious uh, effort on my end to say, okay, this is an area that it doesn't matter that I get my way. Let's let the employees have their way today if it's different. Um, because it's more effective for us as a company. We still got the job done, but now the employees feel invested and involved, and I'm not in 100% control of their and lives the, and everything that happened. And the owner has to learn to shut up yeah. and listen, and truly listen, rather than criticize what they're coming up with. 
come out with a positive, say, you know what, I like your idea and let's all think this through. And can we put it into place? Let's see how we're going to do it. Even if you know it's a dog, you should try it because if you oh, don't, if every single time they come up, you go, that's right. nah, that's not going to work because I've already tried this. Nah, that's it's not going to work. Then they'll just stop giving ideas. Exactly. Hey, here's and the, the, fact that diamond. You, the fact that you tried it 25 years ago, 50 years ago, doesn't mean that it's still a dog. It exactly. might be better now. It that's might be right. different. It's and the millennials, the millennials want to be involved like this. They want to participate. They want to. I think everybody know, does. If, man, if management doesn't allow that, they wonder why staff leave. Well, yeah. it, the reality is we got to have the shop owners stop thinking they need to have all the answers that they, we, for too long as an industry have built businesses around the owner, right? Flying around with his cape and the S on his chest or her chest. And the problem is it took me years to figure out that S stood for stupid, not Superman. Right. So, you know, it's, it's one of those step aside. What's that? So it stands for step aside. Yeah. Because one of those things is we want to hire people that are better than us at this stuff and then let them do what they're supposed to do. And then you're there to provide direction and passion and purpose and help them grow. That's what you're there for. Rick, you're talking about becoming a CEO. Good for you. That's right. <laughs> I, I also need job descriptions. I need, I need uh, um, contracts. I need, uh, 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 you know, goals. If I miss those steps, they don't know what to do, frankly. Right. So, you know, I mean, I need those things in my company and, and I'm too busy working on a car. Aha, uh -huh. there you go. There you go. I'm going to say that. I'm going to make more money if I work on the car because yeah. I'm the fastest. I'm the bestest. I can do this better. You guys just get out of my way. I'm going to fix cars. <laughs> There's more than one way to get hit by a car. It's Bob, a trap. Bob O'Connor once told me at one point, he said, Rick, you can't manage a garage from a creeper. Yeah. <laughs> now, six months later, I saw Bob, and believe it or not, we're in the men's room, right? Standing at two urinals, and Bob says to me, he says, Rick, what you doing? I said, Bob, look, which is a very dangerous thing to say when you're in the bathroom. But I showed him my hands. My hands were clean. I said, look, I'm not in the bays anymore. And, and Bob looked at me, and he says, that's awesome, Rick. He goes, Where's your market? how's your marketing plan? And I went, what? And he says, what about your app? MSDS program. I went, okay. Huh? And he says, he goes, what about your lockout tag out program? I said, now you're just making stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Bob said, no, I'm not. And he looked at me and he smiled and he says, Rick, you can't lead a business from the front counter. Uh, God bless him. Bob O'Connor dead on. And there are, there are points in my company because I'm a small company where I have to wear more than one hat, but I still have to wear the other hat. Just I mean, not I at can't, the same time. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I have to. It's funny. I, I actually have two hats here because I have my, my my boys working for me. So I have dad hat and I have boss hat. And I wear different hats. I mean, I literally wear different hats when I'm having different conversations. And I've got a lot of experience being an SOB, son of boss. And so do you, Cecil. I get that. Yeah. I get that part. Some really good chat in the chat box. This is from Jonathan. I've got to read this. I, I'm really touched by it. In a, I'm a tech and have been in a bit of a rut lately, but this is helping to bring me out of it. So, um, man, if, if we spent 45 minutes so far and, 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 and is helping someone, then I am thrilled. Guys, uh, as always, you're taking this thing off the charts. Uh, I can't help but think of all the ideas that you've been flashing around here that doing shop tours can really bring great ideas of efficiency back to your place. 
that was the point I was going to make sure we got into this conversation, Carm. Because I, I put down, you know, uh, amateurs create professional steel. And uh, so, you know, if somebody's already built it and done it, and so I stole this idea actually from my buddy Leon Martin, who lived down the road. He's got one, he's on your sh- one of your show, great guy, excellent operator, uh, brilliant, brilliant man, and and wonderful man too. But um, he actually goes around uh, once a year, shuts down the shop for the whole day, goes around, he calls in advance, obviously, and gets permission. Goes around and visits, you know, half dozen shops or whatever. Takes the whole crew with him. They walk through the whole thing. They ask the text question. They ask the advisors questions. They write down notes. They exchange, uh, you know, checklists and ideas. Back and forth, he brings some stuff with him too. So it's not just one side. He's giving them ideas and things that he's had, and he invites them to come, you know, visit his shop. And uh, then they go, you know, maybe have dinner, or, you know, stop off and you know buy the guy some tools, whatever. But they make he makes a whole day of it. Absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Because the amount of exchange, I mean, what we got by him visiting our shop was incredibly valuable. Um, going out and actually, you know, hitting six different shops or different, you know, businesses like that, and and being able to just go in and basically, I mean, it's not really stealing because they're giving you permission, but looking at how are they doing it, how asking questions, how have you solved this problem, how have you, you know, take care of this? Show me what you do here with your, you know, your parts in and out processes and how you're doing that. And you may not use it exactly, but you may take pieces of it, go back and build your own. And I mean, that's one of the most efficient things you can do. And it's not yeah. terribly expensive. I mean, you could do it after hours or I mean, it'd be harder to watch them actually working. But if you, you know, met with another shop and exchanged ideas or something, if you can't afford to close during the day, but even a half day would be tremendous. And look at you, what you're saying too. Another neat thing, but we used to do that as well mm-hmm. uh, with shop owners is uh, study the processes in that shop. Yeah. From the, from the time a vehicle comes in to the time a vehicle leaves. What are the processes of exactly what takes in that shot? Hey, Bob, I, I want to bookend Judy here for a minute. I met Leon Martin at ATE, uh, I think it was two years ago. The title of his episode, and I get this, is Soap, Paint, and Light. And if that intrigues you at all, then you've got to listen to this because he is a huge lean advocate, not only for the processes inside of his business, Leon Martin, please look up Leon Martin on my website. And who was talking about micromanagement just a few minutes ago? We did a town hall academy, uh, 90 in number 93. So it was maybe about 20 weeks ago on micromanagement. And it was really, really powerful. Uh, so, uh, please, uh, look up, uh, Leon Martin, look up, uh, the micromanagement thing. So uh, where else are we going with the, with the tours? One of the things I used to do was when I used to travel, I used to go to the different convent ASA cars and, you know, vision and stuff like that. I always went out a day early and I would call, I would look around for some of the best shops in the area, you know, ones that have been written up in different magazines. And I would call them, go out a day early, rent a car. And I would visit the shops, spend a couple hours at each one, and it was an amazing time. Just like Jude said, you can do it, not even just in your neighborhood. You can get creative. Do it as you're traveling. Tack yeah. a day on, look around. Yeah. I, I think there's a real extreme value to, to that. And I think it, it goes even further than you know being able to steal processes and things that other people are doing. I think we're on an island often, and we think that uh, our condition is our condition, and the way things are is really the way things are. We yeah. get the real cognitive dissonance, and and yeah. uh, by going to other shops and seeing how they have have overcome some of my obstacles, uh, they're t- they're telling me basically I can do it. Uh, so now I'm I'm more of a community, 
and I'm more of a community. I mean, we run groups and we have lots of group members. And I think the community part, the fact that I'm not on an island and if he can do it, I can do it is even more valuable to me than this is the process that I use to make that happen. Yeah. Right. My new new group members are so terrified to join the group. And after their first meeting, they're like, Oh, I feel so normal. (laughs) But the other thing I screwed up. I was going to say about the chop tours is we have to remember that what makes a good technician, right? That, that person that can look at a gearbox, dismantle it, or have somebody just bound and put it back together. They're visual and kinesthetic learners. So to sit them in front of a book or to sit in front of a video drives them insane to go to a shop. Oh, that's what it looks like. That's, I can see it now. I can touch it now. I can do it now. It's so powerful to this style of learning. It's a, it's a brain wiring. It's not, you know, some of us think of it as a disability. It's not. We're, they're geniuses, these people that can do this, but we have to help them learn in a way that they learn. And one of the biggest advantages that all of us here have is that we do have the opportunity to visit other shops and work with other shops. And Rick, I do exactly the same thing. Only in my cases, I usually go two days earlier, mainly because one day is all traveled. And then the next day uh, I visit and uh, you get perspectives in the area and get perspectives as to listening to the staff, listening to the owner. And that particular owner is going to be in my class the next day. And uh, then all of a sudden I'm relating stuff in the class that he sees very clearly now that he can improve instantly because Mm -hmm. he knows I've been there. I've talked about it, and then we talk about it after the class as well. But that gives us perspectives that we can share with people. And I think that's a valuable, valuable tool to bring to the table for all of us, for our clientele and the people we come in touch with. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, it's been, I can't believe it, uh, we're, we're 51 minutes in. Uh, one hell of a great business coaches lab on improving efficiency. Um, you'll come back in the next quarter? Oh, yeah, we'll, sure. we'll pick a hot topic. We'll come in here and we'll we'll stretch stretch something out. Let's go around the room. Any other fine, great, incredible nuggets of wisdom here on this great good Friday? Good good, good Friday. Uh, let me. Uh, I'll start in my top right, Jude. As shop owners, you have to make sure that you're open to the ideas. Uh, again, if if somebody comes in and says, "Hey, what if we do this?" and you just shoot it down. And then they come in again and you shoot it down again and they shoot it down. They'll stop bringing stuff to you. So, you know, don't say no. And, and even if you, like I said before, if you know it's a dog, implement it anyway, just to try it. Cause maybe like Cecil saying, maybe it didn't work 25 years ago, but maybe it does work now, you know, and, and you don't know oftentimes until you get it up and running and, and, and run it through. So I just say, be open to change, be open to new ideas and things looking different because, we, we sometimes think it all has to be a very specific way, and it, it doesn't. It can look very different than what we're used to. Bob? To all shop owners out there and to all technicians, change is not an option. We must be open to change. And one of the worst things I hate hearing, oh, that won't work in my community. Oh, that won't work in our place. That's management's not willing to change and open up their mind. And I think the owner has got, starts with them. They got to look themselves in the mirror. Am I prepared to change? Am I prepared to listen and examine? And there is no silver bullet here. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of discipline. But once you create this team, it comes, your stress just comes down dramatically. Your profitability, your productivity improves. And the team are proud to be part of this business because they treat it like their own. In other words, you, everybody on your team is a mental partner in that business. That's, that's invaluable. Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you. Cecil. 
there are two things that keep um, the tech from being productive or the shop from being productive um, in, in two different piles. Um, one is the tech themselves and the way they're doing their job or the knowledge they have. The other is the processes or the way the business uh, runs. And I'm going to tell you, in my experience, 80 to 90% of the problem is usually with the process, the management of the business, and not with the tech. I believe all employees want to be successful. Mm-hmm. I think that all employees uh, want to meet the goals and targets, at least in the beginning, until we make it so that they don't believe they can. Yeah. And so as a manager and owner of the business, I have to constantly be looking at my business and saying to myself, what's in the way? and moving it out of the way so that they can do their job properly and correctly with least amount of frustration. Kevin uh, Eckler made a comment about um, don't interrupt me. Um, I thought it was, um, I thought it was a comment about me interrupting one of the other coaches. And now I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking it's a tech comment as a tech. We, you know, we bring in these oil changes. We, we don't dispatch correctly. We don't schedule correctly. And we interrupt the guy in, in the middle of a very important job. Um, and we pull him off and, and we kill his productivity, we kill his thought process are we doing things wrong or is our business doing the right things to help our people be productive? And then if we're doing all of those things right, then it's going to be very clear. Do I have the right person or not? Um, and, and I'll know. So my advice is as an owner manager, be looking for how do I help my staff and how do I create that culture that says we're going to be successful uh, and we're going to change and, and, and make that change mandatory. Thanks Cecil. Appreciate that. Murray. So many good things, uh, from little practical tips to great big leadership philosophy and things like that. But uh, one practical thing for everybody that I've been working with my clients is uh, we've been using the oil change uh, in the industry as the draw to bring people in to inspect the vehicle to get the work for 50, 60 years. I'm having people with their regular clientele who are coming in for a brake job or for a check engine light or for some kind of repair, have the service advisors look up if they're due for that oil change and then add it to the bigger job. That's the old effective effective service rate. And um, that eliminates those drive, drive on, drive off jobs that waste so much time. And a quick little process of reversing the process is add the oil change versus use the oil change as the trigger with your regular clientele and uh, really helping a lot of them uh, get that under control. Thank you, man. Good tip. Rick, you have the last word. Okay, so I have two things I really want to share. Number one, this is going to sound a little weird in the beginning, but I promise I've got to, I'm going somewhere with it. <laughs> have you ever heard of an orchestra when they're warming up? Each individual instrument sounds great by itself as it's warming up, but when they're doing it all together, it sounds like nails on a chalkboard, Right. And that's what most of our businesses or our shops are running like because you're in the bay working. There's nobody conducting the orchestra. So you have all this friction and friction kills efficiency. When you have direction and direction is formed by goals and procedures and standards and a culture and a destination that excites everybody you now have alignment and things will flow so much smoother. So step back and be an owner. The day of working in the bays is gone. You have got to be an owner today. The second thing I want to do, just very quick practical tip, don't underestimate cleanliness. If your shop is clean, you will get more done. Don't be too busy to be too busy, right? There's a difference between busy work and effective work. So keep your shop clean. 
Guys, thank you so much. Enjoy the holiday weekend. I sure do appreciate it. Bob Greenwood, Automotive Aftermarket E-Learning Center. Rick White, 180 Biz. Great, great tip. Cecil Bullard, the Institute for Business Excellence. Um, for Automotive Business Excellence. I'm sorry, uh, Cecil. I... I, I keep forgetting keep forgetting the A word in there. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. It's the same. Yeah. Jude Larson, ACT Group, and Murray Both from RPM Training. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it so much. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time.